With the Chase Inc. Business Unlimited credit card, you get unlimited 1.5% cash back on every purchase. It's so simple, you don't even have to think about it. So think about opening your shop early. Earlier. Don't think about the 1.5% cash back. Think about automating some of your operations. Think about delivering across town, across country, across oceans. Think about every part of your business, except the one part that works without a thought. Your Inc. Business Unlimited card. Learn more at chase.com slash inc. Restrictions and limitations apply. Offers subject to change. Cards are issued by JPMorgan Chase Bank and a member FDIC. The following podcast contains explicit language. The first round that came hit him. The next thing I heard was, money, man down. And then he looked at me and he asked me, money, am I going to die? What answer do I give him that, boss, you're going to die? That was when I started praying. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Yet though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid. We kept saying it and saying it and saying it. And when he couldn't say it again, I kept screaming it in his ears. And the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Yet though I walk through the valley, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Yet though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Yet though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. Yet though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid. For that art with me, thy staff and thy rock, they comfort me. We have this saying in the military, God loves medics. Most of us have heard the stories of combat medics running seemingly through gunfire to aid wounded soldiers, to grab them, pull them out of harm's way. Stories that sound like they came out of a scene from the Matrix, with bullets whizzing by these guys. British Army medic Manny Penwell is convinced that God loves him, and he can tell you numerous times that the good Lord has intervened on his behalf. But don't think that means that God hasn't taught Manny a lesson, or two, or five, about taking his share of the hurt, too. God needed me to know the other side of the coin. I learned to accept defeat, but within the loss, there is something to learn and there is something to hold on to. And one of the things I I held on to is the fact that God is preparing me for something much bigger than myself. This is Battle Scars, and I'm Tom Tran. I served in the U.S. Army, deployed to Iraq, and took a sniper's bullet to the back of my head my fourth day in country. It's been over a decade since that gunfight, and I've told that story hundreds of times. There's still things about my life in combat that I haven't shared with anyone. And in this show, I talk to other veterans of our recent wars, and maybe put into words some of those things that we've never said about those experiences. Oh, it's fine. I can hear him. Okay. Um, he's trying to check something on the microphone. So. Oh, yeah. He's probably trying to check your uh, level. You can yeah, hear so me. You. Uh, but I went to a friend's wedding. Uh, that's, that's the reason I'm late. Uh, it was a last-minute notice, and I couldn't say no. That's why you're dressed so yeah, dapper. Yes, yes. You're in a nice shirt. I'm in a Def Leppard T-shirt. 
It's okay. <laughs> when I spoke to Manny, I knew right off the bat that he was remarkable. Not just because of his military career, but it seems right from birth, he stuck out. He was even picked out to take his father's name, Emmanuel Jr. What's the big deal? George Foreman has six kids named after him, right? Yeah, well, growing up in the West African nation of Ghana, he's one of 36 brothers and sisters. 36! That's a lot even for me, and I'm Catholic. I'm the 18th. So you were literally right in the middle. Actually, that's true. <laughs> and I remember one time we were coming from a picnic, and then the police pulled us over. Who are these in there? We said, no, these are all my kids. Because at this point, the police didn't know what to say because we were driving two vans, and it was crazy. It was crazy. <laughs> In the 80s, polygamy was uh, like a fashion. Oh. Most people didn't see a big deal about having so many wives. I'm trying to put this together because I know you were raised very Christian. Obviously, polygamy is not a Christian value unless you're Mormon. Uh, I think Christianity, as at that time, was a matter of perspective. My father always says, don't copy what I do. Which is crazy. You, right. you womanizing, but you're telling us not to go that path. I think he thought by the time we would get to his level, that lifestyle wouldn't be cool. I believe he feels what he did was a mistake, but he was already deep into it, so he had to just live with it. Manny's brothers and sisters are spread out all over the world. Ten of my siblings are in the States now. Five in England, two in Germany, Denmark, Italy, like almost everywhere. Manny himself... Settled in Britain. When I came to England, I was working as a, a programmer. After work one day, I happened to pass through the town center and they were trying to tell teenagers about how fantastic the army is and everything. Coming from Ghana, Manny could only stay in Britain if he had the proper papers. That offered an army recruiter a window of opportunity. So he walks up to me and the first question he asks is, I believe by now your visa is running out. And I said, that's right. And then he said, that's great. You know why? Because I can have it renewed in two weeks. I asked him how he was going to do that. It's a simple, just join the army. He said he would recommend I, I join as a combat medic. Because he was a combat medic. Yes, he was a combat medic. Son of a bitch. <laughs> so I said, okay, fine. Combat medic it is then. Now I say son of a bitch with the love of someone who was actually one of those sons of bitches. I worked at an army recruiting office at one point. Yes, the used car salesman of the military. And I probably said a lot of the same things that Manny's recruiter did to get him to sign on that contract. And I must have put in more than my share of recruits that I thought to myself, oh my God, it is going to take a miracle to get this kid to sign. But I cannot recall any of them actually witnessing a miracle during the enlistment process. Manny says he did. He says that God turned a cup of urine into, well, I'll, I'll, I'll let Manny explain. The selection changed me a lot. My whole perspective about God, it was crazy. When I went for the selection, when they did the medical tests, I had a kidney problem. What was the problem? Well, it turns out that I have only one kidney. The other one is shut down. Oh. And, I and I didn't even know until I went for selection. So the doctor said to the recruiter, this guy can't join. So just when I was waiting for the minibus driver to take me to the station so I could go back, the doctor came back and said, I, I want to recheck. So to be honest, I took the we to him. Before I took it to him, I prayed over it. And I said, God, I really need to join the army. You need to sort this thing out. <laughs> 
and actually, I actually said that. So <laughs> I, gave, I gave the weed to him. They checked, and they couldn't find anything. Then it got to a point, the commanding officer there said, you know what, we've checked it so many times. I believe his kidney is fine. And then I joined. Okay. And now you said that it, it affected your faith. Was it yes. because that you prayed on it, or yeah, how did it because, affect Because I told God I need to join the army. And for him to not make them detect it, it means that he really wanted me to join. I later found out in Afghan that maybe it was for a lot of lives that he made me join. People who got shot, who had no hope, could just look at my face and they feel, once money says I'm okay, I am going to be okay. Would you say it's just coincidence? I don't think so. Maybe he had a job for me and I didn't know. I was just walking into his plan. So, Manny got to stay in the British Army. And as a fully trained medic, he was soon heading over to the fight in Afghanistan. And if God really did have a plan for him, it was a painful one and a bloody one. Trust me, if I knew God before, I think Afghan made it even super. I don't know what in this world will move me when it comes to my faith in God. When I'm in trouble and I call to him, he hears me. There he was, the FNG, on the ground in Afghanistan a couple of days at the most. And Manny was forced to make the most difficult and heartbreaking choices imaginable. Life and death choices. We heard that there's an emergency in the other checkpoint. I think the code name for that area is Blue 25. So we were rushed to that compound. An Afghan policeman working alongside the British soldiers based in that compound in Helmand province suddenly turned on his allies. Something happened that got him angry. So when they came back after patrol, he decided to go around and start shooting people with a machine gun. But because they've taken their body armor off, rifles off and everything, their reaction time was not fast enough to stop him. So that's how he ended up killing so many people in the compound. My commanding officer, my boss, uh, he said, Manny, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to run. You run. Whatever I do, you do the same thing. Make sure you are behind me. I followed him. When we got to the compound, he said, we're most likely to be attacked or maybe see horrible stuff. Are you ready for that? I didn't even get the time to answer him. He said, when I move, you move. And then he moved. So he was the first person to see the actual horror. And I think what he wanted to do was to stop me from seeing it. So when he got there, he just blocked my view. And then he said, okay, I can see three already down there. I believe they are dead. But it is not pretty. So you need to hold your stomach. And I said, okay. Then he gave me the chance to look at it. And to be honest, when I, I, I froze for some few seconds because I have not seen so much blood and body parts ripped off like that. And at this point, he realized I'd frozen and then he said, Manny, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do the triage. You just confirm and then you tell me what the plan is. At this point, Taliban started shooting and we were in the middle of a firefight. Right. And every now and then I, I, would, I would hear a, a round fly over my head. And how, why it didn't hit me, I don't know. So he went around saying, okay, this one is dead, this one is alive, this one is dead. One particular one he pronounced dead. And straight away, a voice inside me said, tell him he's not dead. Hmm. Without me checking. But something happened that has been the core of my sickness. One particular guy, 
when I got there, he said, help me. I looked at him. I knew straight away he's going to die anyway. He probably would hang on for about two minutes. That's it. Because he's got four rounds to the stomach, one through the head, and I think one through the hip. And his airway was filled with puke. No matter how I tried to suck it out, it fills up. So at this point, I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to stay with him till he dies. Then my boss called me, said, Manny, there are a lot of them in the building. I need you to come and check. At this point, I had a tough decision to make. If I move and I come back and he's dead, I won't be able to forgive myself. Mm -hmm. But if I don't go, I don't know the state in which the others are in. Mm So he kept shouting, Manny, I told you, there are a lot of people here because he was frustrated. We were all frustrated because the other guys had to fire back. Right. So <laughs> I moved and I can tell you it was not more than one minute. When I came back, he was dead. Mm. The guilt I have is I gave him my word that I was going to help him. I didn't do that. Each time I'm angry with myself, it is because of him. I couldn't save him, I know that. But he was hanging on to my face. He kept looking at me. I don't know whether if by holding on to me, he could have lived a bit longer. I have no idea. I don't know whether he had something to tell me. I have no idea. I didn't have uh, an option. I'm under command to do my job. Those people needed help. So how do you reconcile this too? I mean, this is your second day, third day in Afghanistan, and you were, you were making decisions. Uh, you are making decisions that people who... Sorry, I'm getting... I'm just listening to you talk about how you feel about... You're trying so hard to help this guy who... He has no hope left. Like, you know that as a medic, you have to make the decision about who can be saved and who can't. And you want to help this guy. But you know there's no hope for him. And how do you, how do you live with that? And it's, exactly. You're telling me that you, you have a problem living with it. I, I'm feeling the pain right now about the decision you had to make. I'm even surprised that I've, I've been able to even talk about it. I think seven years ago, I wouldn't even talk about it. I would I'd just walk off. And the price I've paid, trust me, I've lost wonderful people in my life even the current relationship i am in now i'm almost at the verge of losing and i'm telling god how many people do i have to lose for one decision i took but the question i ask myself is this others are leaving because of that choice i made is it fair to say it was a good call Did you save other lives? I, I think that would be the question you have to ask. Did you, by leaving him who had no hope, and you said within a minute he was gone, did you go and help other people and save other lives? Yes. The other lives are still alive now. But, you know, as a Christian, you know, you always want to believe that even though humanly you might think something is over, that is when God shows up. So with my beliefs and everything, I had a feeling maybe if I had held on to him, I don't know what miracle I was expecting. I mean, imagine four rounds to the stomach, one through the eye, and and I, I've sucked 
so much blood, puke and everything and still is filling up. I'm wondering what kind of miracle could have saved him. However, the fact that he said, help me, he believes that I can do something for him. And he wasn't asking for much. He held my hand. I remember holding his hand like this. He made sure his gaze was on me. If I move my eye, he moves his eye. So we had this coordination going on. So I believe just when I left, he just gave up. Because probably thinking that I have given up on him. But I don't have any option. I know, man. It's, you're, you were a young soldier who was trying to make the hardest decisions that anybody, not just a medic, not just a soldier, any person has to make. You've got your, 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 your commanding officer and your leaders telling you that they need you to help with these other casualties. You're, it's, your, it's your second, third day in a combat zone and someone is asking you, just one person is asking you to help them. And I think my boss was right because he saw a lot of people inside the building. I think his plan was to save as many as he could. He didn't have a choice. Under contact, I repeat, under contact. It wasn't as if we were not under attack. We were taking heavy firepower. So he was doing two things at the same time, ordering the guys who were firing him back and sorting out the casualties at the same time. Right. <sighs> what hurts so much about it is the fact that this particular incident won't go away. Every day I walk around thinking, could I have done something for him? Could I have saved him? Was it the right decision? What would anybody do if they were in my shoes? Anyway. Thank you. First of all, that's, uh, that it, that story made me, <laughs> it's hard to even describe. I mean, I, I was trying to hold back the emotions that probably are only a fraction of what you feel on a daily basis. Yeah, but I corrected it. I corrected myself that day. I, I remember an incident that same day. There was a guy upstairs called Woody. And I think he had as, as many as eight rounds in his stomach. When I got there, he asked me for water. Now, having failed with the guy downstairs, I wasn't ready to fail again. Mm-hmm. I knew if I give him water, it's going to cause a lot of complications. But he kept asking me for water. And I had to find a way of convincing him that I'll get him water as soon as possible. So to make me feel a bit better, I decided that if we are to evacuate that guy, I want to be with him all the way to the nearest medical center. It, it made me feel a bit better that, okay, fine, I made a mistake the first one. At least I've corrected this one. And to the glory of God, that guy is still alive. For all the shitty darkness of that day, one spark of good did shine. An intense bond of friendship formed between Manny and his boss, Captain David Weissman. And if you share Manny's worldview, you might thank God for that kind of silver lining. But if you've learned anything from this story so far, you'll know that what can be given can be taken away. Tell me about David. 
he, your mentor. He was he was your, the captain, oh. the one that said, "If I move, you move." Yes. Right. That that man is an amazing man. I I don't know what I would have done without him. One thing he did that impressed me that he's got my back was after the reinforcement came, the commanding officer, he saw me and then he said, soldier, what are you standing there for? Put the bodies in the body bags. Then my boss jumped onto him. He said, sir, he is not doing it. And the major at this point, you should have seen the look on his face. Who, who are you to tell me he's not doing it? Then he said, do you know what he's gone through today? Find someone else to pack the dead bodies. And he told me, Manny, go and sit in that corner. If you need anything, you tell me, I'll get it for you. That's a, that's a damn good leader, man. I'm, I'm so glad as an NCO to hear that you had somebody like that, you know, next to you, leading you, because that's what leaders are supposed to do, man. Yeah. That was my first week. I've been through a lot. I'm a broken man. I, and I'm afraid to tell somebody that, okay, look, I am really cracking. And then there will be knights who will come to me and tell me, Manny, Anytime you need anything, just come to me. We are literally the two people who are to see all those things. I'm just a private. He didn't have to fight my corner. That was when I, I realized for, for this guy, I would do anything. So that's where the relationship started. And then I think nine or ten days later, he acted weird. I remember that morning, he actually said, I have a feeling this patrol is not going to end well. The first round that came hit him. The next thing I heard was, money, man down. When I got there, uh, one corporal pulled him into the ditch. And you know, my boss is a very big guy. He's really tall and huge. At this point, we were trying to get to the wound. I was looking for exit wound. I couldn't find exit wound. That made me panic because all the training I've had, every time they tell you, look for exit wound and then do this, do that. At this time around, it didn't follow script which means that the round is still in his body, which means that he's bleeding internally really fast. So I started screaming at them to call the chopper in. And then they said to me, man, it's too hot. They are firing at We're also firing back. Where is he going to land? And I told them, if the chopper doesn't get here, we're going to lose him. I think this time around it was just emotions raging. And then he looked at me and he asked me, Manny, am I going to die? And I knew my answer meant a lot to him. So what answer do I give him? That, boss, you're going to die? I just ignored him. That was when I started praying. I forgot I was a medic for the first time. At this point, I didn't know what else to do. And then he also started saying what I was saying. Because I was reciting the Psalms and he tried saying it with me. Every time I say a psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall know what, we kept saying it. As soon as it end, I would shout back at them, when is the chopper coming in? It got to a point now he wasn't talking at all. And that was, to be honest, that was the time I screamed to God, I'm not losing this one. I was talking to God as if to say he was right in my face. And how long before the chopper got there? I, I, it took a while. It, it looked like forever. Right. So it got to a point now the rounds were coming in close to where he, I was with him. Mm -hmm. So the only thing I could do was to jump over him just in case the round hit him, it would hit my body. And he kept shouting, Manny, I can't breathe. And I told him, boss, I can't have another round go through your body. And then eventually the chopper came. 
And God did something that made me believe that I have a personal encounter with a power that I cannot, I cannot explain. There is something beyond humans. That day was the day I realized it, that a God will listen to a human. The reason I'm saying that is that when the chopper got there, my boss got up and he walked. He did not go on a stretcher. This is a guy that had closed his eyes throughout, had faint breath and everything. When we told him, boss, the chopper is here, we're going to put you on the stretcher, he said, I will walk. That, for me, was my answer that God is not going to kill him. Right. You had your... You had your answer. I had my answer straight away. So I wasn't depressed. So later when I was told that he survived, I just only thank God that at least I asked him something and he did it. Unlike the other one that I lost. To have him dead, I don't know, it would have destroyed me. And when he left us, we were never the same again. We couldn't fight effectively like we used to fight because he's always coming up with jokes about... You know, when I joined them, <laughs> I was so pious, I couldn't, I didn't know how to swear. So, I'm serious. I, I mean, he tried everything to get me to swear. I, I, I didn't swear. So, the day I swore was the day he got shot. And this is, <laughs> this is what I said. Excuse my language. I told him, when is the fucking chopper coming in? <laughs> At this point, everybody realized I was dead serious. That just made me feel so much better, man. I've always had what I tell people is an understanding with God. I was raised Catholic in a non-practicing Buddhist household. I was engaged to a Mormon. I dated a wonderful Jewish girl for a really long time. And I spent most of my early 20s being hunted by radical fundamentalists trying to kill me. So my relationship with organized religion has always been tenuous at best. Kevin Smith's film Dogma actually made more sense to me than the decade I spent at Catholic school. But I do remember very clearly at basic training, turning to the faith. For the first time ever, I went to services because I wanted to, not because (laughs) the nuns told me I had to, because I wanted to find a higher power to get me through what at that time was the most challenging thing I'd ever had to do in my life. Because let's face it, I was a kid from the suburbs who joined the army during peacetime. I didn't have a lot of real challenges before I was 18. And despite my tenuous relationship with the faith, occasionally, I still do turn towards the unknown for guidance. Manny just had a better line of sight signal to the Almighty. His signal was always strong and just grew stronger with all the challenges that he had to face. It's made him a stronger person. Honestly, I can't say I've had that same kind of connection in my life. I found it through talking and sharing my life as a soldier and a musician and a comedian. But I can tell you that whenever people hear that I got shot in the head in Iraq, they ask how I survived. And I just tell them, the first sergeant in the sky didn't order me to report yet. What's that? I got shot in the head in Iraq? Yeah, I did say that kind of nonchalantly, didn't I? Well, you'll hear about that soon. Thanks for listening to Battle Scars. Battle Scars is a Panoply podcast produced by Ryan Dilley, Shara Morris, and A.C. Valdez. 
Our theme music is composed by Daniel Dandy. The artwork by Jesse Brown. Special thanks to Andy Bowers, Panoply's Chief Content Officer. I'm your host, Tom Tran. If you'd like the show, review us or rate us or just tell someone about us. And if you didn't enjoy it so much, oh, well, you know. <laughs>